0: Holy and gracious God, we've heard your scriptures read, we've sung songs of praise, we've confessed words of confession. We pray that you would continue to speak to us through the grace that you offer that goes before us, that we might hear a word from you and be transformed by it, and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are coming closer and closer to the end of our Lenten journey, which will, next Sunday, we'll be reminded of that as we gather together to do Palm Sunday, a Sunday when we uh, have palms out in front of the sanctuary, and we'll bring them in, and in typical Methodist fashion, we'll kind of like wave them with T-Rex arms and, and celebrate the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we've been in this season of uh, fasting and discipline, and hopefully that we've been growing together, and we've been asking a series of questions based on the Gospel of John. And last week, we talked about the fact that not all questions are good questions, and sometimes they're born out of of skepticism or born out of judgment of others, and we, we try to free ourselves from that a little bit, and I hope you found opportunity to engage with others in a new way from that time. This Sunday, we move into another question kind of similar to last week. And this question that kind of rings in our ear from Ezekiel or from God asking Ezekiel, can these bones live? I don't know what your morning practice is, but this Lent, one of my morning practices has been to put my phone down and to, you know, not try to check my email or to do my news and to begin with some time of some very deep breaths and centering myself and some centering prayer. But after that, It's really hard to give up my temptation to go through the news and my various social media feeds. And and one of the things that I do on my car ride on a relatively regular uh, basis when I'm dropping the kids off is I put in an AirPod and I listen to something that I don't want them listening to, which is BBC World News. (laughs) And I say don't listen to BBC World News because whenever you pull up the news, it is just wrought with all kinds of tragic and hard things that are going on. And, and it doesn't even matter what news outlet you listen to. It's just there. Whether it's you know whatever your favorite is, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of quiet it down because all of a sudden your kid will be like, "What does it mean to uh, like have a you know economic disaster or you know why are they doing those things?" Then you have to go on a. The rest of your car ride is all explaining what's happening in there. Not that that's bad, but that sometimes I'm just trying to take the news in the morning. So it is not difficult then for me as someone who listens to the news and tries to get into that, as I'm sure many of us, to know that the question that God asks Ezekiel is born a long time ago, but rings new every year with every time you open the news. See, the Hebrew people at the time when Ezekiel was prophesying, although it was written, you know, questionably when it was written, but it was supposed to be taking place when, Ezekiel, when the Hebrew people were exiled in Babylon. They had been kicked out of their place and they had gone into Babylon and only a few remained in Jerusalem area. And the whole project from the Babylonian Empire was to remove the people from their place of land and their heritage so that they could control them. So that they could have them, you know, learn the new culture of the Babylonian empire and the Babylonian people and and have the new food practices and the new traditions. And as you do all of those things and you're removed from your place, well, then you're more sympathetic to being occupied because it's no longer being occupied. It's just being part of a nation. And so as they're in this project of the Babylonian Empire, the people, both in Jerusalem and then the people that are exiled, begin to lose hope. And rightly so. They lose hope because what good can come of God's people if they forget their own traditions and their own customs? And so for them, they had seen the story and everything and all the hope that had been built and everything that had kind of come into the land. And they had had the years of King David and the King Solomon and the years that followed only to be abandoned by God, left with bones in the valley and no hope of when they might return. And God asks the question, can these bones live. Fast forward some years to Jesus and this situation with uh, the one he loved, Lazarus, a dear friend, at least according to the gospel of John and Martha and Mary, who are dear to him as well. And this Lazarus gets sick and Jesus decides to continue to do what he's doing and doesn't drop everything to go back. And everyone loses hope. They had seen Jesus heal the blind. They had seen Jesus, you know, raise the man that was a quadriplegic and start walking on his way. They had seen Jesus do all sorts of things. But in antiquity, there was one thing that was clear, and that was death was death. And that was it. In ancient Jewish culture, it was a place of permanent separation where they would end up in this sort of gray abyss, and they would wait for the day of resurrection, when God would bring all the people back and they would rise again. So you hear in that dialogue between Jesus and Martha this idea that, you know, this is over. Like, why didn't you come? Why did you just wait? Because he is dead and there is no returning from that except for the day of resurrection, which is when, you know, Jesus says, Don't you believe in the resur- I'm the resurrection and the life. And she goes, yeah, but that's who knows when. That doesn't fix what has been wronged now. Fast forward some years still, and one of those BBC kind of stories that's in my ear is not too different than that of the story of the exiled Jews. I don't know if you've heard in the news about the war that's going on in Ukraine, but one of the things that kind of caught me off guard is that I didn't realize until just the other week when Vladimir Putin had been charged with crimes against, war crimes, that his very project that he has been doing during this time has been, they've been taking Ukrainian children and sending them to camps in Russia to do exactly what the Babylonians did. To raise them within a you know Russian nationalist school system so that no longer are they oppressed captives, but they're people that want eastern Ukraine to be part of Russia. He's taken his notes from history, it seems. Can these dry bones live? I don't know about you, but when I hear those things, sometimes it just gets so macro level and we ask ourselves, well, what can be done? What can we do? How can we change? And we find ourselves asking both the questions of Martha and the questions of the Hebrew people. Well, what's dead is dead. What's done is done. How can these dry bones live? And to uh, add a little bit more salt to the wound, what makes it even worse is that many of us, maybe not us, but those who we know have lost hope in the church as to be the answer for it, because we've seen how the church has not been the solution to so many problems throughout history. Just the other day, I was talking to someone who was in the office just back there with me, and we were talking, and they were talking about their experience in the church and how raising their kids, and you know, They happened to be a Roman Catholic and you know, had difficult time raising their kids Catholic because they had all sorts of questions about the Crusades that she couldn't faithfully answer. Crusades, a time when the church had done all sorts of things that we don't want to talk about or put in the ear when the kids are around. And not just that, we've been on the wrong side of history for a number of issues and find ourselves kind of scrambling to figure out who we are the midst. And many people have lost hope that the church can be the church, can be the hope in the world. Remember, I was moving from North Carolina to Hawaii, or thinking about moving from North Carolina to the CalPAC region of the United Methodist Church, which is Southern California, Hawaii, and Guam. And and we were going to North Carolina. We have Duke Seminary. They had, you know, paid their entire budget next year for their annual conference. They're just like, living off of what they had already raised. And, you know, things are going well there within the churches. And so I was considering moving to the Calpack region of uh, the United Methodist Church. And if you don't know that the Calpack region and the Western jurisdiction is not, you know, has ample amounts of money just kind of like there. And Christendom has begun to wane. And many churches are lowering in attendance and finding their pews emptier than they were before. And it was kind of a, a hard time. And so I remember meeting with the district superintendent of the South District. He's actually the assistant to the bishop now. His name is Reverend John Farley. And I was meeting with him and talking about the landscape. And he was very clear. <laughs> it's dry bones here in Calpack. That Christendom had, been, had fallen and people were no longer in the sanctuary. The questions and the, the problems that people had seen with churches. You know, they rain and people are just not really interested in coming back into the pews. But then he gave me some hope in that conversation. He goes, but, but Brian, I think this is the perfect time to come to Calpac." Because just after a volcano has wiped out all the vegetation on the land, there begins to spur up green seedlings. New vegetation comes, and what was nothing but death and destruction or doom and gloom became possibility for new life to poke up he started talking about the new ministries that they had been starting. He started talking about that there had been more non-English speaking churches and collaboration between diverse groups that were worshiping together, whether it was Hispanic, Korean, English, Tongan, that they were gathering together and worshiping. he says, yeah, but Brian, there's hope popping up here and now. And the church can be a piece of that hope. And it was in that moment that I, I agreed with them, and I believed with them, and I, and I knew that I was going to be leaving behind something safe, secure, to come to the Calpack region. But every place I've gone, I've found hope in the congregations that we've had, the congregations that I've served. And I think back to my time in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, when we were talking about the food insecurity in my hometown, or in, the, in Chapel Hill. And even though it was an affluent area, we were, they were surprised to know that there was like you know, a third of the kids that were food insecure in that county. And, and talking to a professor at University of North Carolina who had been starting all these initiatives and doing all these things about you know, helping students. You know, she had said, my next strategy, you want to know what it is? Because on my outreach and education opportunities, they were struggling. But my next strategy is I want an opportunity to go and speak to churches because she knew that churches had a different demographic and different audience and people that not all agreed and weren't all from the same socioeconomic status. And at the churches, if we could get this message out, we might be able to begin to make changes in so many different areas. I mean, just in this room, we have people that are own a business and people that are working in the armed services and the people that are in university setting. I mean, people that are retired, people that are in schools. We have so much impact in this one place. And so when I think about some of the problems that I see and how heavy they are, and that the church has been a place uh, that we've lost hope in, I often tell people that the church is one of the avenues, I believe, that can change the world. That these dry bones can live Ashley, my wife, has been in this intensive program for nursing, and one of her classes this semester is community health, and I'll, be, I'll admit, I'm, I know a decent amount, I feel like, about the climate crisis that's gone on, and that's one of the things that's in my news that just like weighs so heavy that I'm very passionate about, but I did not know about the water crisis that we're leading into, that fresh water is becoming more and more scarce, although California has more than an abundance now, and it's probably leading a lot, but that Water, they're saying, in 2040 is going to become a commodity that's going to have to be purchased because there's areas that are going to be running out of it. And we've gone away from the time when we were living by rivers. Anyway, there's all kinds of documentaries. Happy to send them out. I had no idea about it. And I, I was so, like, kind of overwhelmed at how we might tackle this because our kids, you know, if you read the news around climate change, it's heavy stuff. But then I remembered, well, coming on Sunday, we're going to be talking together about this question, can these bones live? With a diverse community, and perhaps we can plant a seed to say, oh, I didn't know about climate crisis of, around water. Google it. Go find it. We'll send it out, some out in the email coming up. Learn about it that you might make some small changes, and we might start seeing in your life how we together might tackle something huge. Because this is kind of what God does in Ezekiel. He doesn't give answers of how the dry bones become life again. Instead, over and over in that passage, we hear the phrase, spirit, 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 that God's spirit will come, and that the dry bones come up, and flesh comes, and but there's waiting on this spirit. Well, that word translated into, is translated from the Hebrew, and that word is ruah, and that's this breath of God that comes into us and makes us move and animate, And so it wasn't enough for the dry bones to live. It it needed this creative energy of God that goes into each and every one of us and makes us move with the passions that God gives us. God's ruah goes in. So as we look at the problems of the world, I can't help but go back to this phrase of God's spirit as a way in which, even in the smallest way, we begin to tackle the largest problems. Can there be life after death? Can what we see as destruction and despair spring up new? If we open ourselves to the power of God's Spirit moving into us, We might believe that God, in fact, has given me energy and movement to be able to tackle some of the largest problems we see. And there may not be set answers, and I know I'm not giving you set answers, but I hope that I'll give you some sense of inspiration that God's spirit is upon us and that God never leaves us and that we are just waiting to let that life breath move us where God will to the places of pain and destruction. And friends, that is what this Lenten journey is about. Opening ourselves to God's divine breath, the Holy Spirit moving us to change the world. And as we learn about the problems of the world, we learn about the death, the destruction, the despair, that we don't be overwhelmed Because we know the story. We know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the death. That Jesus defeats death himself. We know that God rises up the dead bones and we begin to have the courage of the Holy Spirit moving in us to tackle big problems one step at a time. Lent is a time when we might believe the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world, might have the audacity to hope that change is possible, even when it seems impossible. And as we move throughout the journey into Palm Sunday and into Easter, we also have to remind ourselves that our expectations of the way things ought to be or ought to become Are often the obstacles to the work of God. Jesus' followers wanted Jesus to be the Messiah, wanted him to be the king, wanted him to overthrow the empire. We're going to talk more about that next week. They wanted him to go into the city and to take his rightful seat in the Holy of Holies, but he ended up on Golgotha. But the creative energy of God was not stopped. So let us open ourselves to God's love. And as we move closer and closer to Holy Week and to Easter Sunday, that we might press deeper and deeper into that breath of God. And perhaps find and then pray to God, breathe into me your breath of life, that I might have the creative energy and life To change the world. I invite you to pray with me. Loving God. We can't help but wonder. In the face of tragedy and the news that we hear. Wonder if it's worth or if it's possible to have hope. But as we look in the stories of old, we're reminded that devastation and despair are nothing new. And yet over and over again, you encourage your people to remember that you make all things new. And just like when we were baptized into the love that you offer us in God or in Christ, there is always possibility for newness of life. So let us maintain hope. Not give in to despair. But ask the questions, can these bones live? And give us the capacity to see them thrive. Amen.